should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome to the show. It's Friday, so that means I'm out. And it's also hashtag FOF or FOF. Friends on Fridays. This Friday, we will broadcast John Zipper's week to week show. The program today is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now here's Week to Week with John Zipperer. I'm John Zipperer, the host of the Commonwealth Club's Week to Week Politics Program. You can find out more about Week to Week and all of the Commonwealth Club's many programs, including videos and audio, at CommonwealthClub.org. Now let's join this week's program. Welcome to Week to Week, the political roundtable from the Commonwealth Club of California for Wednesday, November 4th, 2015. This was the week, by the way, in which Google's Gmail service unveiled the ability to actually write your email responses for you. <laughs> it will also retroactively determine that they were classified and alert the appropriate congressional committee. <laughs> so, something to look forward to. Thanks for joining us today here. It's the day after Election Day. As I referred to it online, it's, it's kind of boxing day for election nerds. I'm John Zipper, your host for Week to Week and the Commonwealth Club's Vice President of Media and Editorial, and I'm very glad uh, to have all of you here, to have our panel here, and to have lots of stuff to discuss. On today's program, we're going to talk about the results of yesterday's elections. We'll also go over some of the presidential campaign uh, news. We'll talk about the new leader in the U.S. House and, of course, any other local, state, and national political news to go over. Of course, the Commonwealth Club of California is the place for people of a very wide range of views, so any opinions that are expressed up here are those only of the speakers and not of the Commonwealth Club. Now let's meet our panel for today. I'm going to start on the far end of the stage with Joe Garofoli, a political reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. He's on Twitter at Joe Garofoli. Next to him is Josh Richmond, the state and national politics reporter for the Bay Area News Group. He's also a political blogger at ibabuzz.com. He's on Twitter at Josh underscore Richmond. And next to me is Deborah J. Saunders, columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle. She's also the token conservative blogger at sfgate.com, and she's on Twitter at Deborah J. Saunders. So if there are question cards spread throughout the room. I think most of you know the drill. Send up some questions, and I will ask as many of them as possible during the course of the program. Now on to our roundtable. Let's discuss some of the most significant results of yesterday's elections and really in California the action was all here in San Francisco, is that right? Deborah, let's start with you. What, uh... This is what's so amazing to me about yesterday's election in San Francisco. People think of City Hall as this place of anarchy where you have all these sort of wild people duking it out, progressives versus Democrats. What happened? Almost everybody got reelected. 
Ed Lee, who was a machine pick in that Gavin Newsom picked him out as city administrator, doesn't have any real opposition on the ballot. George Gascon, the DA, handpicked by Gavin Newsom, who also picked Ed Lee, uh, didn't have a single named person on the ballot <coughs> against him. Same goes for the, the, the city attorney, Dennis yeah. Herrera. Same goes for the treasurer, Jose Cisneros. Uh, there are two things that change in this election. One is Sheriff Ross Mercurimi, who is uh, ousted. We've talked about We don't even need to go there, right? Uh, we've all, we've all been through this. Okay. Story, right? but, but, yeah. but no, I'm saying we've just <laughs> talked about this so much. And, and he is ousted by the establishment pick to beat him, Vicki Hennessy. And the only establishment person who goes is Julie Christensen, who is ousted by somebody who used to be on the board of supervisors. It's like a cemetery over there, or a machine. I mean, it real, this is really, this is machine politics. The idea of this being this sort of hotbed of democracy where ideas are duking it out, that's just over. And, Joe? and also, uh, also on the ballot, in addition to that is, um, there's so much to talk about. We're all seeing it, we see it every day, how much San Francisco is changing. And the voters kind of said, we're okay with that change. You know, the Airbnb measure one. Mm -hmm. The, uh, the uh, measure to uh, stop the kind of freeze market uh, housing in the emission uh, went down. Um, uh, you know, other than the Peskin win, uh, which, you know, could potentially changes the, the balance at City Hall, people were like, uh, at least the people who voted yesterday, the, the kind of the, the new money, the tech back things, all kind of won, and that's a, that's a marker. That, that would be the approximately 20% of the electorate who voted yesterday? <laughs> that is just it, yes. That may have something to do with it, I'm just, I would submit. I, I see it as sort of a mixed bag. I mean, yes, you know, there was no single truly viable alternative to Ed Lee. The election was sort of over before it began in that case. Yeah, well, absolutely, totally because of the money. I, I, and, and the same thing with the Airbnb measure. I mean, look at the money that got sank into that. It was, is it any surprise that it went the way it did? Uh, Russ McRimi lost this election in the first week of his term. Uh, you, know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I mean, I, I just... Actually, you know, before not, his term started. I'm not seeing all that many surprises here. I'm, you know, I'm not sure it's necessarily, a, you know, like an anti-progressive or pro-establishment thing as a just, you know, follow the money and the momentum on, on a lot of these things. De Deborah, you've actually written about the, at least on the mayoral side, mm -hmm. the, the fact that really the establishment candidate is the one who regularly is winning the mayoral uh, seat here in San Francisco. And you saw that as a sort of a reflection of a conservative streak in the city. Yeah, there are, you know, really, this is, this is like left-wing central, but it's also there's a certain conservative streak in California voters. And the fact that you have a mayor, Ed Lee, who was picked by a mayor, Gavin Newsom, who was picked to be a supervisor, and it was, I think, pretty much understood he would run for mayor, by his predecessor, Willie Brown, says it all. This is a machine. I mean, you don't have to go to Chicago to look for it, folks. It's right here. Who's the DA? Guy who was picked to be chief of police and then picked by Gavin Newsom to be DA. I mean, this, it is, it's just amazing to me how little debate there is in San Francisco. You know, there, I mean, there should have been a Republican type, a conservative type, a conservative Democrat to run. I mean, I think Ed Lee is pretty center, right? But somebody could have challenged him on the homeless, right? Somebody could have challenged him on that. And look at Republicans are used to running to lose. 
just to make a statement, right? But, but that didn't happen. I mean, so it's just, and, and, and on the left, I mean, the progressives, it's like they, they put it all on Aaron Peskin. Yeah. And, and, and so it's, it, I just find that San Francisco's reputation for being this wacky, anarchistic uh, hotbed, hotbed for politics, it's not this year, folks. Yeah. Well, for those who are listening or watching remotely and aren't as familiar with San Francisco, Politics, I should point out, Aaron Peskin is filling really what is it like the last year of this term because uh, uh, Christensen had been appointed to it. So in a year, District Three will be back up. You know, it's basically going to be a year of campaigning by both sides. Um, if he's reelected, do you think he'll go for mayor? To be that his that he'll try for the mayor's office. Any of you? Let's see how it goes. Because yeah. <laughs> you know, this is the new and improved Aaron Peskin. Remember, he, you know, he's kind of he's kind of cleaned up his act a little bit. He was very very mellow, no explosions. In fact, you could argue that Christensen had some more more of the volatile moments in her campaign. Uh, so we'll see, you know, if the late night calls stop, if the if the if the you know all that other stuff that he used to do. Well, he's older um, now. It's not going to be late night calls. They're going to be like early bird calls. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for yes. interrupting your dinner, but right but, before but, about four thirty before but, dinner. But yeah. maybe Ed Lee runs for Secretary of State, and he gets to appoint his successor, who 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 says he'll only serve as an interim mayor, and then decides, no, I have to run for. For election. I, I do that want to pick up on that and, and take that a little, not, I have no idea what exactly he'll do, but do you think he has higher aspirations? You know, I mean, some mayors, I, I cite Chicago a lot here, Richard Daley didn't have any desire beyond being mayor. He wouldn't want to have been president. He wanted to be mayor of Chicago. Here, our last mayor, of course, wants to be governor. When Ed Lee was chosen, yeah. uh, people had to talk him into it a little bit, and he was worried about losing his pension. Okay, <laughs> so that's not... The old Ed Lee, but there will be pressure to make sure that that the that the next mayor is sort of some sort of kind of anointed. So I, I mean, I think he. I don't think that he necessarily has aspirations beyond being mayor. But how else does one choose one's successor? Then uh, I'm wondering who would it be? Gascon? Who would he? Who would he pick? Who well, gee, the... Gascon gets picked for everything, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> It's the Jerry Ford of San Francisco. Yeah. Like, kind of the guy from May. I mean, to me, Jerry it's just Ford amazing. Didn't have such a good time in San Francisco. Yeah. Recall, oh, that's true. I, I yeah, he was shot at. Six <laughs> years ago, he was the chief of police of Mesa, Arizona, and he comes into this town where all these people who have spent their lives looking at running for city college board and everything else. It's pretty astonishing. This is obviously a select audience of people who actually come to a political roundtable. But how many of you voted? If, if you're able to. Oh my All God, right. that's, oh. Yeah. Oh, this is the yeah. higher electorate right yeah. here, I love it. You're the ones who did this. <laughs> this is the face of the machine right here. This is the Man. <laughs> you cogs in the machine, yes. We... <laughs> well, obviously the, wow. there's a lot of national attention on the Mercurimi race because of the sanctuary city thing. Uh, the situation where it involved with a young woman who was killed by an illegal immigrant. Uh, does having a new sheriff, do you think that will change the state, city's approach to Sanctuary City? Uh, you've written a lot about this, Deborah. So. Vicki Hennessy has a very muddled viewpoint on this. Mm -hmm. Now, we know Ross Marcarimi went one better than the due process for all ordinance that protected um, Juan Francisco Lopez Sanchez and told sheriffs, you're not even supposed to call ICE. So we, and she said she's going to rescind that. 
But the due process for all measure, we don't know if that will get overturned or not. Now, she said at the Chronicle editorial board that she felt that with that measure, deputies could still make phone calls, but that is sort of violating this, the spirit of the measure. So I don't think we know yet. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I think, I mean, we're seeing it in City Hall while everybody's saying, excuse me, we really shouldn't have an ordinance that protects somebody with seven felonies and five past deportations from ICE. That, you know, that, that just does, that's not what a sanctuary city policy should do. There are a lot of, there's a lot of circling the wagons and a refusal to admit that it was a mistake. So I'm not entirely sure. I think she may be cooperate more with ICE. I mean, LA's cooperating with ICE now, despite its sanctuary city policy. Will San Francisco be that pragmatic? We'll find out. Any comments? Well, I mean, he, he had other problems other than the ICE thing. The ICE thing was, as Josh said, he, he, you know, he lost the election when he, uh, weeks after becoming elected. Uh, he, but he also had, there were, there were lost prisoners. There were people who died there. There were, uh, you know. The, the woman the, in the hospital. The woman in the hospital. Uh, he, had a number, he had a number of problems. And she, she, the bar is so low for her to do a good job that, you know, she, uh, you know she, she'll be better. She'll, she's got to be better than that. Yeah. Okay. Um, before we move on to our next topic, just uh, also there were measures on um, regulating Airbnb, the whole sharing economy thing. Did that? Did the results of that? It, it, the 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 proposition that would have increased regulation on Airbnb failed, uh, fifty-five to forty-five, roughly. Did that surprise any of you? It didn't. Not when one side spends eight million dollars and the other side spends about four hundred thousand dollars. That's that's one. Um, <clears throat> that's that's one great discrepancy. Um, it's also showed the power of uh, of technology, like literally technology. I think what was it a couple hundred thousand Airbnb. Uh, users, maybe 130,000, actually live in San Francisco. So they're the people who are the populace here is friendly to the system. Maybe some of you have rented out your rooms or homes. How many or people here have, uh, have used Airbnb when you're traveling? Used Airbnb. Used stayed, Airbnb. Stayed, stayed at an Airbnb place when you're traveling. Yeah. Okay. And how many of you? Oh, you don't want to admit it, do you? <laughs> if you if you rent out. How space. many of you are renting out your rooms during this hour? That you're <laughs> <laughs> one person out of it. No, but that but it shows that the power that that company is able to leverage its actual its actual product to get people involved, and um, <clears throat> you know we may be seeing more of that. Uh, you know when, when companies when it's applicable and company has an app or something like that. Um, and again, it shows the power of the the, the tech industry here. Uh, Couple quick comments from the audience is nobody paying any attention to all of the people who voted anybody but Ed Lee. One headline on a site read, Lee wins by stunningly small majority. 56%. Uh, I mean, that's when you're facing like broke ass Stewart and these guys. Uh, I mean, broke, who got, he got nine, someone else got, who was it? Got the singer got 14%. I mean, that's pretty lame when you're, when you're facing a, 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 you know, a sack of footballs and you, and you win, you get 56% of the vote. Come on. So, so 60,000 ballots haven't been counted yet. So I think he'll, I think he'll end up doing better later. Really? Okay. I don't think it's as bad as it seems. Okay. Is Vicki Hennessy going to start wearing her uniform like Marguerite? <laughs> this is a good audience, I have to say. Thank you. It's very, very good knowledge. Okay. Well, let's uh, talk national election stuff. Um, was it last week we had a Republican debate and uh, in a couple days we have another Democratic debate for all the presidential candidates. Um, let's start with the GOP. 
What? Uh, is, this, this, is this room below 69 degrees? Sure. Let's say so. Let's say that. Okay. I'm, are, are that's you negotiating one of, your that, terms? That's oh, very right. nice. I'm negotiating yeah. my terms because that's one of the one of, in the, in a letter that was put that some of the GOP candidates supported. They insisted on that. And does this mean that I have the lowest uh, ratings too? Since I'm on the end and you guys are in the yes. middle. Yes. Yeah, so Absolutely, the, okay. Joe. I don't even know what you're doing on this stage. <laughs> <laughs> stage. Mr. Two well, Percent. Yeah. No, the background you, you on this, of, of course, is that uh, a lot of the candidates run happy with CNBC's questioners. Uh, they, the Republican Party then withdrew from an NBC, which is, of course, I guess the owner of uh, CNBC, withdrew from their February debate. And uh, as someone online was noting, the Republican candidates actually engaged in collective bargaining with, CNBC, with NBC to <laughs> yeah, try so to make sure a series of, of uh, demands <laughs> and the next uh, debate and how it's held. Is this good? Is it? I mean, it's certainly good fodder for a lot of the the voters. Yeah, who I mean, just... what Republican has ever gone wrong campaigning against the media? You know, <laughs> see, you, you saw the reaction that Ted Cruz got as <clears throat> as he started to lead the charge against the moderators at this past debate. Everybody followed his lead. It was it was Ted Cruz's best moment. I don't mean that just you know, like metaphorically, the, the poll showed opinions of Ted Cruz spiked at the moment that he attacked the media. And, and that, that always works for, for, for the Republicans. We'll be back with more here on Friends on Fridays with John Zipperer of Commonwealth Club right after this. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. You know it's getting a little bit extreme, though, when you have a Fox News host saying, oh, and would you guys like a foot rub, too, while you're at it? You know, I mean, <laughs> even Fox is, is wondering if it's great to have the candidates themselves essentially create the entire debate environment. Okay, uh, okay but let's... Let's admit that's not going to happen. No. This whole thing is falling apart. And by the way, the Democrats don't have a debate on Fox News. Um, now, I thought, the CNB, I thought the Fox News debate 
and the CNN debate, those were two great debates. They asked a lot of tough questions. They did a good job, and they kept the candidates on their toes. CNBC just dropped the ball. I mean, CNBC, oh, well, yeah. they, they didn't do their prep right. Um, to, to, when, when Becky Quick asked uh, Trump about what he, sa what he said about Mark Zuckerberg and Marco Rubio being a senator, and he denied it, she should have had copy right here that showed it from his own website. Uh, they asked biased questions. She said our cause at certain times. They just blew it. And, and I hate the idea of Republicans doing this. Is, what they're doing right now is totally stupid, <coughs> writing this letter with the demands. It's falling apart. And it's a the truth is they, they, don't, they, they should have more bad debates like this because it's good for Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> they should. It's, they always, I mean, Josh, you're so right. That they love going up against the media. They love challenging them. So it's not a smart strategy, and it's crumbling. I, I thought, actually, some of the questions, sorry, but I, some of the questions would, were good questions until the last spin on it, which would be, you know, you, you've said such and such and such and such about tax policy, but you know, why is Carly wrong on blah, blah, blah. And it seemed like they were just trying to dig every single thing when, if you've watched these Republicans, you don't actually need to make them fight with each other. They do that themselves. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I, what I, I'm saying is I think some of the criticism... I, I don't know too. how you can look at a panel that has Jim Cramer and Rick Santelli on it and, and think you're going to get straight, serious questions. I mean, you know, yes, they, they, tr they dropped the ball tremendously. I, I'd much rather see debates moderated by people who aren't brands who you know who aren't who, who haven't earned their 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 journalistic notoriety off of being outsized personalities who play the I mean, you mean Rick like Santelli, us like we should be doing this Rick yeah. Santelli coined the tea party phrase yes. you know, he he is the father essentially <clears throat> of that entire movement in a way Jim Cramer I can't even get into Jim Cramer you know he's he's just He's, he's a showman. Now, some of the politicians running this cycle are showmen as well, most of them, you know, in one way or another. But, you know, if, if the moderators are more concerned with furthering their brand than with asking a serious question, then, yeah, you're going to get a terrible result. You know, you're going you're gonna to get uh, accusations of, of bias. I think the bias was in favor of getting people to talk about CNBC. Right, and then, and, and that's a, it's a short-term game because yeah. you can you can bash the media all you want, and that's as old as the hills. But I mean, you, you're only playing in the Republican uh, that that goes only goes so far. Is that is that going to make you look any better? No. Does it make the media look bad? Yes. But I mean, we're right below, we're right above what used car salesman at this point, anyways. Mm -hmm. So it's it's really doesn't help your your campaign at all by bashing the media. I I've spent the last couple of days looking at old debates to figure out if the um, questions have gotten any better or any worse, and if complaining has gotten any more pronounced. And I was watching some uh, debates from uh, 1992 when uh, Bill Clinton was first running and Songus and all those guys. One of the biggest complainers about the media was Bill Clinton. I'm, I'm just, you should be ashamed of yourself for asking that question. And I was like, he, that's his go-to line. And, and, the, and the sets, it looks like it's, uh, you know, a cable access show with like, uh, you know, very like in the dark. And, but there's, and, and Cokie Roberts is asked, is like, <clears throat> she's the Harwood of her, John Harwood of her time. Uh, John Harwood says that, you know, when he, he asked Trump, is, you have, this is like a comic book president's campaign. She's saying stuff like, uh, you know, Songus, uh, people think you're really boring. 
you're horrible. Uh, uh, um, Jerry Brown, your people think you're weird. Uh, <laughs> an open question. Uh, but, uh, so, but I mean, they're, they're same type of weird questions. And I think this is, we may be kind of um, focusing on this a lot now because in the age of, that was, you know, 92, uh, largely, uh, you know, CNN was around, but not, the, not Fox, hasn't been, hadn't been invented yet. And I don't know if MSNBC was, I don't think that was around either. Uh, so I think all this, and plus you have Twitter and Facebook, magnifying all this stuff. But this has always been around to a certain extent. And um, I think right now we're just, we're in a moment. I, I was struck by the, the did not, did to nature of this debate. You know, we're... we're, we're <laughs> They would ask a question uh, about something that one of the candidates said or, or did, and he would say, I never did that. And they would say, yeah, you did. And he would say, no, I didn't. You know, that, that Ben Carson <laughs> moment with, with uh, you know, wh whether he was a shill for this Manatech right, uh, company. Right, for the, for the, for the supplements. Where there were, like, commercials with him selling this stuff. He's like, I had no relationship with that company. <laughs> you know, it, it just struck me as, as you know, if you're just going to say, no, I didn't, it's not much of a debate. You know, it's, uh, you know, I, it, it, especially you know, when you're in the video, explain why you did, you yeah. know, it's, yeah, exactly. Or, or, or say, it. I regret that I did so or, or something, you know, give it, give us something to work with rather than just saying these questions are terribly unfair. No, I didn't. You know, it's I, I have to defend one of the questions just because it involved the Commonwealth Club. Uh, you remember the exchange with Carly Fiorina where um, was it Becky Quinn quick, quick, the reporter uh, or CNBC person asked about, um, you know, you were fired from HP, what does that say about you? And she said, well, one of the people who, who was behind that was Tom Perkins, he now supports me, says I'd be a great uh, leader, a great president. And then Quick uh, followed up by saying, well, you know, this person you're, you're talking about supporting you, you know, what does it say about you that he uh, has supported a plan that would uh, give, if you're a millionaire, you get a million votes. If you're poor, you get zero votes, basically. And actually, when I say basically, it doesn't get better when you actually look at the details. Anyway, he made that comment here at the Commonwealth Club. Thank you very much. All right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but she didn't mention the Commonwealth Club, did she, John? Neither Quick nor Fiorina. <laughs> and Fiorina's spoken here many times as well. Um, just, this is a little bit kind of just gamesmanship, but I mean, who did well? Who did, who did poorly? I mean, uh, Jeb has not risen as a result of that debate. He doesn't. I mean, when you look at him, look at his eyes, he just doesn't seem like he wants it. I, I don't know. It just he it just seems like well, I'm just kind of here. I don't know. I just I mean, he, he, the, and when he said his comment about like I, I you know I could I could there are a lot of really cool things I could be doing, which he said right before that debate. That What's up he, with this that? man has a he, he seems to feel that he has paid his dues as a bush and it should be <laughs> handed a, to him. And he shouldn't have to campaign. And he keeps getting out there saying, hey, I'm not, I'm not a good speaker. Really? Because I think you need to be good at that to get elected. <laughs> and, 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 you know, um, we were chatting before we came in. What's his problem? Well, you know, I've worked in campaigns. And it's, it's really easy for us to say he should do X or Y. It's not that easy to do it. If somebody said to me, fix, fix, fix the sink, I don't know how to do that. If somebody, you know, I don't, I, I, I really don't know how to put oil in my car. And, and, and Jeb Bush doesn't know how to be interesting. 
Well, as, as, as you this said... This is a Republican panelist, mind as, you. As you said before, you know, the, 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 the campaign logo is very telling, right? It was Jeb with an exclamation point. So it was supposed to be Jeb! Uh, you know, I think his strategy had turned out to be sort of waiting out all of the other outsider candidates and the extreme, more extreme candidates and sort of being the establishment guy who's left standing at the end, sort of like Romney last time, in which case it would have been more like, Jeb. And now I think it's turning into, Jeb? You know, <laughs> you know I, um, Do you think the basic miscalculation there was just the, uh, the ad, there's a larger ad, appetite uh, among the Republican voters for someone who's going to change the way that party itself is run. You know, th this is a reaction, I think you may even have said this on the stage, as much if not more against the Republican establishment than it is against the Democrats or Obama or something like that. Yeah, that's part of it. And, and I mean, imagine you're Jeb Bush and you see this guy Donald Trump come in. And, and just take all the oxygen out of the room. And there is no way to compete to, with that for Jeb Bush. Mm -hmm. Carla Fiorina figured out a way to do it. Yeah. Ben Carson figured out a way to do it. But it's just beyond Jeb Bush to have that kind of uh, flexibility to know how to handle a Donald Trump. And Trump didn't do that well on the debate. His best moment was when he was said that he took credit for keeping it down to two hours, right? Um, so, you, so, so who won? I would have to say Marco Rubio, because in that exchange, when Jeb Bush tries to go after him mm -hmm. for, for, for not voting in the Senate, which wasn't a problem in 2008 with Barack Obama and John McCain, and you know Rubio points that out, he just Rubio just handed it back in a, in a, in a good way, and Jeb just didn't have, he just doesn't have it in him. As Maureen Dowd said, he's used to having the help stick the shiv. And someone, he's he's not oh, used no. to he's not used to doing it, right. and and so he just he lacks the he lacks the he lacks the energy to make. And and, and one other thing, so Republicans <laughs> look at him and they think, okay, you're going. I want. I think he should go after Donald Trump, which he's doing this week, I guess. Instead, he goes after Marco Rubio, and you wonder if this is the best he can do against Marco Rubio. What's he going to do with Hillary Clinton? And that's the thing that really hurts him. Right. Obama had a good line this week when he said, I think it was this week, where he said, uh, these guys talk about how tough they're going to be with Putin and Chinese and stuff, and they can't even handle a bunch of CNBC moderators. Line. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So. so according to a new Wall Street Journal NBC News survey, Dr. Ben Carson leads the GOP PAC as the preferred candidate of 29% of Republican voters, Donald Trump, 23%, Marco Rubio, 11%, Ted Cruz at 10 Jeb at uh, eight. Um, we'll get to the Democrats more in a little bit, but just for the record, uh, Hillary Clinton back up in the inevitability sphere with 62% of Democratic voters uh, picking her over her rivals. Senator Sanders is at 33%, Martin O'Malley at 3%. Ben Carson continues to amaze me. He's like a Zen master. You know, he's, he's, he's working hard saying nothing. And I don't, you know, I mean, I, I literally, I get together with my editors, some of whom are pretty conservative, you know, after each debate, and we sort of debrief a little bit and talk about the stories we want to do, you know, between this debate and the next debate, and all of us sort of get together and it's like, Ben Carson, did you see it? Did you see it? Did you see why people like him? Because we didn't see it. We're still not seeing it. And yet he, he, he spikes after every debate. 
So you know, may, maybe it's that, that very calm, soothing, non-angry thing, which is fascinating considering that the guy who was leading the poll all summer is about the angriest man alive, uh, or at least comes off that way. He knows what buttons to push. But it's, it's fascinating to me that, that two guys who have never held any elected office and, and that, but, but sell that as a virtue, essentially, in terms of shaking up the status quo, both of their party and of the government, are, are continue to do so well. Okay, uh, but, but it's, it's, it's really simple. People, you can tell, tell in a pollster who you want to vote for, it's free. Supporting somebody now doesn't cost you anything. It's like liking something So Republicans like Donald Trump because he wasn't Jeb Bush. Mm. And now they're moving to <clears throat> Ben Carson because he's not. Donald Trump, right. and they real, and they'll start to get serious, you know. But who's going to be Ruby. recipient of the serious, Rubio? Yeah, and this it'll be it'll be Rubio, possibly Cruz. Uh, I think Chris Christie actually did well with the CNBC debate. Maybe a Fiorina. Um, I and Jeb. I mean, I still think there's some slim possibility that I don't know. Maybe somebody that, that somehow he'll 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 realize that he has to. To change and and you know I saw him speak at Thumbtack over here mm-hmm. and and you know he the, the, let me say some good things about Jeb Bush he'll talk to anybody mm-hmm. he he's not I mean I'm sorry we we keep talking we're we're making fun of the Republicans the truth is Hillary Clinton she's got like a wall around her that's pretty thick they don't they're not doing a Fox News debate they're completely sheltered Jeb Bush will go out there he'll take tough questions he'll he'll give thoughtful answers. He probably could be a very good president. I don't want to write him off for that reason. I, 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 hear, I, I mean, I get it. But he's a terrible primary candidate. And, and unless he changes that. In, I, I, I was know. at the thumbtack thing yeah. as well. He was 200% better yeah. in this small room of San Francisco techies than he's been in any of the debates. We'll be back with more here on Friends on Fridays with John Zipperer of Commonwealth Club right after this. I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years. And uh, over the past couple of months, I just opened up my club, Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody and that's just kind of the attitude and the the ethics of Oasis is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, can I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time. So you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? That's just always been my attitude. 
um, just to entertain people. And so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity. And, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Well, we talked about when we're going to get, when the serious voters are going to come out. Let's say it's going to be beyond Iowa, because Iowa, remember, 130,000, 140,000 very conservative, very religiously conservative voters. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Trump three, if not lower in that group, uh, Carson, Cruz, Rubio, Trump the top and then don't the forget rest. who won Iowa the last two times around it yeah. was Mike Huckabee and Rick Santorum yeah okay. Pat Robertson didn't he finish second there one year years I ago think he might. yeah well I hereby invite all of the Republicans to come here to, to debate we'll have Deborah Josh and Joe moderate the program I think it'll be great <laughs> so let's talk about the Democrats and I'm going to start with a question from the audience because it's that's what I was going to ask anyway. What possible purpose do you think the Democratic candidates will see in the next debate? In other words, what will each of them want to accomplish during this debate? So in two days, they're getting together in, I believe, South Carolina. Keep in mind that this Josh. South Carolina thing is not a debate in the sense that they're arguing with each other. It's, a, it, it's being billed as a forum where they'll each have opportunities to speak on certain things, but it's not quite the confrontational thing that even the, the, the first Democratic debate was. No so the, for, the, the format may have some bearing on, on how they, they get out there. You, you've no longer got the white noise, no, no pun intended, of, of Jim Webb and, and Lincoln Chafee in, in the background. By the way, can somebody give Lincoln Chafee a hug? Yes. Oh, he needs one, yes. I think Jim Webb needs one. He seemed really angry. I'd be I afraid mean, was, to hug Jim really Webb, Would you? Yeah, time. that's right. We, that's true. I don't that's think right. you should yes. hug Jim Webb. Yeah. The I, second I, the, man he The takeaway from the first debate was some, somebody saying that, that the kids are going to have nightmares that Jim Webb is under their bed. Um, you know, Martin O'Malley, I think, at this point, is mostly just clocking time. When he was here over the summer, he told us yeah. that he was just waiting for October when he could make that breakthrough at the first debate. And yes, we're still, we're still waiting for the O'Malley breakthrough. Uh, I just don't see any room for him. You know, if, no. if he didn't pick up those Biden voters, which he does not seem to have done, uh, then, then it, it, you know, it seems like we know where it's going. I think Bernie Sanders is going to keep doing exactly what he's been doing because it's working. You know, I don't think in his heart of hearts that Bernie Sanders went into this race expecting to be the next president of the United States. I think he had a, a mission to affect the dialogue of this primary race. And my God, I, I don't think there's anybody more surprised than Bernie Sanders at how successful that's been. I mean, look <laughs> at the crowds that have turned out. Look at the money that has been pouring in over the transom and small donations for him. Uh, he's going to keep doing what he's doing because it's working. If, if you're not necessarily in it to win it, you can accomplish a lot. <laughs> I think that's kind of what he's, what he's getting at. Right, many so, progressive yeah. Democrats are happy that he's there. Yes, I mean, there, because he's he's well, look, and he has look, no. Where, where else he's going to do? He's not. He's going to not going to drop out until. Well, you know, no, there, he he won't. He'll be in at least until March or April. Yeah, sure. he'll be on the ticket. You think so? I'm just no. No, yeah. <laughs> you wish. You wish. But, you, you know, were. Bernie Sanders is 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 the Democrats' Donald Trump. 
And he's the protest no. vote. That no, I don't, I don't, I don't yeah, no, no, he isn't. He isn't this way. way. He's the guy you can say that you want, that you support, when, when you know that he's not going to win and that he's not going to win the nomination. And in the end, Democrats, like Republicans, are going to be highly pragmatic and they're going to get behind Hillary because they'll think she has the best chance. <clears throat> and that's how it works. I, I would say that there's one. Big difference between, well, there are a lot of big differences between Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. I would say that one of them is that the stuff that Bernie Sanders is talking about out there right now is the same stuff that he was talking about as an activist in the year that I was born. Whereas Donald Trump has been all over the map on all kinds of issues, from abortion to taxes to, to Hillary Clinton. He used to be a sake. Democrat. He's right, given yeah. money to the Clintons. So, so, so I mean, yeah. I think there's but, a difference but, in consistency and in terms of, of the people who are attracted to him for that reason. I, I think there, there isn't anybody but fill in the blank, Hillary or Jeb or you know, whatever it is component to it. But I think there's also a difference in substance between the two. They're both guys you date and don't marry. That's all I need, okay? <laughs> ew, ew. Uh, but the other thing is, like, Trump, <laughs> uh, let's just quickly sprint by that. Uh, uh, Trump also, and Carson, neither of them, other than their tax, their various flat tax proposals, really have not said a whole hell of a lot about anything in terms of raw public I'll policy. I'll do that the immigration thing, thing so well it'll make your head spin. That's it. Trump it's said me. that he me got more out of policy. going to military school than a lot of veterans. <laughs> I mean, he's, yeah, yeah, he's just... That's yeah, the worst. So. so before the first uh, Democratic debate, the satirical news website, uh, The Onion, reported, quote, in an effort to help the presidential hopeful Hillary Clinton make her best possible impression during the debate, her aides gently reminded her not to refer to her, op to her opponents as obstacles to greatness, unquote. <laughs> By most accounts, she had a, quite a good debate. I mean, she certainly got a, a bounce out of it, and she already was, was ahead. Um, maybe start with Joe. I just, I mean, is it, does she switch tactics and go into safe mode now, do you think? Or? Well, I, I don't think she ever has left safe mode, really. I mean, she's in, she is in safe mode. She, she has very limited media access, very, still very limited uh, public access. Um, she, her, her job at this point is not to mess up too bad. Right. Uh, but she's, she's, a, she's a preparer. She's always throughout her entire life. She's, she studies hard for the test. She's very well prepared. She'll, she'll do well in these debates. The thing that trips her up is that, um, like, as Obama said in 2008 or 2007, you're likable enough, Hillary. And that's, that's her, her challenge, is to, uh, to let that inner Hillary that Keystone we hear so much Pipeline, about. Keystone Pipeline, TPP. Right. She's she, also she, considered somebody who will take whatever position it takes to get elected. Her vote for the Iraq War, which is the reason yes. she lost in the 2008 primary. When the primary, that's, I mean, that, that may affect her a little bit, but she's so no, far no, ahead. No, no, in but the general, that's in really going to hurt that's her. Her, yes. her, her. Her big problem is to convince people that she won't say anything and take any position, and then switch to a different one if she thinks it will help her. She's an inconstant human being. This is true. She has she has flipped on several major issues. Sort of like Donald Trump. Yeah, I'm just except she was Secretary of State and a U.S. Yeah. Senator, and he's a reality TV star. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a joke, Josh. Okay. You compare every just, Democrat. I'm to, a native yes. New Yorker. I am genetically pre-programmed not to like Donald Trump. All right, it's it's very hard for me to take him as as a, as a serious candidate. Uh, someone in the audience asked about Jeb Bush uh, beginning to use uh, the same advisor Ronald Reagan appointed for Ger excuse me George H. W. Bush 
to uh, prepare for debating. Does, do any of you know anything about that? Is that? I don't know about that, but I know there was, uh, uh, when he put together his foreign policy advisory team, it was many of the people who advised his brother. I would expect that. So, yeah. um, well, let's move into uh, talking, staying with national news, but um, talk to you about Congress, and that is we have a new Speaker of the House. John Boehner, of course, has, has uh, left the building, as I say. Um, <laughs> Paul Ryan, a Republican, conservative from Wisconsin, is the new speaker, former running mate, of course, of Mitt Romney, who was there in the chamber when uh, Ryan was sworn in. So let's talk about the new Ryan era. Um, Deborah, I mean, is, what, what do you think about this? Is, is he, I guess two things. Is he going to change things? Should he change things from his, his Republican uh, caucus's point of view? <clears throat> I had friends ask me about three weeks ago who was going to be speaker today. And I said, John Boehner. Because I didn't, because if, if Paul Ryan weren't speaker today, there would be no Republican who could replace him. And Paul Ryan had the smarts to understand that. So while Kevin McCarthy went by the wayside and Jason Chaffetz and you know, other, sort of other people had flirted with the thing, it became pretty clear, uh, even to the Freedom Caucus, that they were going to be stuck with John Boehner or they were going to have to sort of do something instead of stop something. That's all, you know, they, they, they're really geniuses at stopping other things from happening. And Paul Ryan played this brilliantly. Of course he didn't want to be speaker. Who wants, who wants to babysit 100 cats, right? I mean, this is 30 cats. Of course he didn't want to be speaker because it is, as John Boehner found out, you've got this, this you know, basically... 20% of Congress thinking that they can run the whole show and stopping everything. And I think Paul Ryan did this sort of great jujitsu where he said, okay, I don't want it. And they had to come begging for him to take it. And he set the terms. And then, of course, John Boehner put through, uh, you know, debt ceiling, all this other stuff in one package. He cleaned the barn for Paul Ryan. And I think Paul Ryan is going to be pretty tough as speaker with, basically, I mean, Tom, how many people here know who Tom McClintock is? He's a, okay, he's a very conservative congressman who was a member of the Freedom Caucus, and he quit because he felt that they were, all they were doing was helping Nancy Pelosi. He was, he was driving moderate Republicans into her loving arms. Because, because, they, because they just kept undermining everything, and if, you, and, and if the speaker wanted to pass something, he'd have to do it with Democratic votes. Paul Ryan is going to try to return things to the, I hate to say the haster rule now, since he... <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, you may want to find a new name for that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's a good idea, Josh. And so, but, but anyway, I, I mean, it, and I, I'm not saying that the haster rule is the gold standard of rules, but it's good for Republicans to work together <laughs> instead of against each other. And I think Paul Ryan has a good chance of getting something out of this. And he really, you know, he, here's a guy who's put together budgets. He wants to do things. I think it's going, I think it's very good for the Republican Party that he is a speaker and for the country. I think he has the added advantage. I agree with what she said, but I, I think he has the added advantage of coming to this at the dawn of an election year when there's actually great impetus for Republicans to work together in the House and, and provide, you know, present something more of a united front 
on a lot of the things that are going to be coming up. So yeah, I, I think he'll, he'll actually and, have a little more success. And to, at the same time, it's going to be difficult because it is an election year and people weren't going to want to make any yeah, false Yeah, I mean, the Freedom but, Caucus, people don't want to be primaried, but the fact is they're, they're just, gen most of them are not going to be, and, and right. they've, they've already established their bona fides, and, you know, I, I, I think, I, you know, it, it, it'll never be completely unified, you know, when, when you have 40 people who are there basically with the ethos of making everything come to a halt, as you said, and, you know, throwing their bodies into the cogs of government, uh, it, it's hard to get stuff done. They don't want stuff to get done. They are there to make sure stuff doesn't get done. Doing things is difficult. I, I think it was yeah. it was John Boehner, Paul, uh, Paul Ryan, who said, "You have to, John Boehner, you have to have the courage to do what you can do." It's really easy to say, "Hey, I'm going to stand up for defunding Planned Parenthood. See how brave I am," because it will never happen. Even the Right to Life Association said that the bill that they were pushing wouldn't defund land. I mean, it's really easy to do that. It takes a certain kind of guts to say, I'm going to craft a, cra a, a deal. It's, it's going to be crappy in certain ways, but I'm going to do the best job I can do. And that's, what and that's, well, that's where Ryan. the jury's out on Ryan. We don't know where, where he'll be at. Will he be a deal maker? We know he's you know, very conservative. He's, you know, he is a, a, he's sort of a... a well, the Jack Kemp conservative, would that be accurate? Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. And, uh, but we'll see. Can he cut a deal? It was interesting that, that, that he uh, both voted for this deal that Boehner brokered, but said he wouldn't make deals in that way. He wouldn't, he wouldn't use that method of, of creating deals. He would you know, have it much more open to the rest of the caucus. Um, leaving it open to the rest of the caucus essentially means no deal <laughs> yeah. a lot of the time. So. Tell us how that works. Can, can, we, can we talk about John Kasich for a second? Hey, Deborah, let's talk about John Kasich for a <laughs> because second. Because here's the thing. You know, Paul Ryan is, he, he's, he's the speaker and he represents the Republicans. It's not his job to badmouth them. John Kasich is somebody who keeps sort of trashing Republicans. Jeb Bush does that sometimes. He's He's disappointed in Republican voters for not liking him more. And when you're the leader of a party, you can't badmouth him. So I think Paul Ryan, he, he knows that John Banner did all the dirty work for him, and he's going to go in and he's going to go in in a very politic way, and he's going to say stuff like that because mm -hmm. it's smart. Right. Before we move on, Paul Ryan reportedly still harbors presidential hopes, dreams, whatever. Um, how do you think that, if if true, how do you think that plays into his willingness either to you know? get things done or to compromise or not compromise with Obama? Well, I mean, it's, it, it, it's I don't can remember if anyone has jumped, I don't think anyone's jumped from being a speaker to the, to the presidency, have yeah. they? There's got to be somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Johnson was yeah. in the Senate. John. Yeah. 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 That's right, he yeah. was from the Senate. Uh, it has, I think it's happened once. I, I saw this like on Polk. But I, it would be it would be difficult. You're not going to make it. It's a, it's a job yeah, where because right. you have to be a deal maker. You know, it's you're mm -hmm. not coming out as a person. You can come out of the Senate where you you know there's limited responsibility. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, but coming out of that position, it's going to be hard for him to do that. But if he if again the bar is set so low on this that if he comes out and and actually seen as accomplishing something, his star will have risen. It's going to be it's it's a big lift for him though but he's young he's what 45 46 okay. beautiful uh, blue eyes he is a hunk i must say he's, uh, he is it is yeah yep. just you might not believe it but you are listening to the commonwealth club of california <laughs> <laughs> we, we political round table program 
I think they turned off the, they turned off the camera and the speakers about 15 minutes ago, so it doesn't really. Our panelists wish. today are Joe Garofoli, Josh Richmond, and Deborah J. Saunders. Let's kind of open it up into some other political news. I wanted to talk a bit about the Senate race coming up here in California. Um, and actually, I just saw something this morning about uh, uh, Kamala Harris and, and some potential investigations into gifts. Can someone explain what that is, and is it a real uh, risk to her? <laughs> yeah. I, I've read the story, I saw, and I don't I understand it. I mean, yeah. it's like somebody... Which somebody does, got something well from the furniture yeah. for, for the story yeah. having a lot of legs. Yeah, somebody, yeah. somebody leaks something to the FPPC, and they're investigating it, is about what we know. Lots of things get yeah. sent to the exactly. FPPC exactly. And, I'm not and, taking and go there yeah. to die, so... Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Um, now, on the Republican side, there's Duff Sundheim, Rocky Chavez, Tom Del... Is it Del Bacaro. Del Bacaro. Del Bacaro. Um, is, and Al Ramirez. Al Ramirez? Potentially. Okay. <laughs> Who's going for kind of which vote there? I mean, Duff Sundheim seems to be going for kind of the, the moderate Republican vote. Is that yes. right? Yes. Moderate Pro Silicon Valley tech-friendly. Rocky okay. Chavez as well, uh, you know, with his stances on immigration and a couple of other issues. He's definitely a little bit more... Boy, he had a real hard time talking to the Contra Costa County Republican Party when I saw him there a month or two ago. They, they did not like him. He was speaking, like, for immigration reform and, and in favor of Common Core, and uh, they, he was just not hitting the notes that they wanted to hear. So he's obviously a little bit more to the center. Tom Del Bacaro is definitely playing to the, the more conservative side of the Republican spectrum. We'll be back with more here on Friends on Fridays with John Zipperer of Commonwealth Club right after this. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. So the real challenge for the Republicans running is to get Republicans to vote for them. Because there's another race going on here, and that's between Loretta Sanchez, uh, a congresswoman from Orange County, mm -hmm. and Kamala Harris. And Loretta Sanchez, the fact that she's even getting into this race is pretty interesting. Because there was let's face it, a bit of a coronation for Kamala Harris. Uh, she seems to feel that she's, you know, sort of like running for mayor in San Francisco. You've done your work and it's supposed to be yours. And all of a sudden, Loretta Sanchez comes out and she's, she's sort of a firecracker. Um, she, she sends out, she would send out Christmas cards every year, a little racy uh, with herself and her cat. Um, no, she, she's, she's, juxtaposition what? sounds wrong, but what? go ahead. Go ahead. And, and she's, um, she's, she's a Southern California politician. You know, I mean, a lot of the politicians from Northern California, it's like they're from New England, right? But Southern <laughs> California, it's, it's just a little... I'm waiting to see how this one turns out. Go okay. Ahead. <laughs> Where am I going? I have no Where idea. Are save you? me. Get me. Save me. Save me. So, so, she's, so, so she, the, the establishment is, is firmly behind Harris. But Sanchez is Latina. And she does have her followers in Southern California, where people know, know who she is. So Republicans are wondering, what do we do when we're voting? 
in the top two primary? Do we vote for Loretta Sanchez because we'd because Loretta Sanchez versus Kamala Harris, we'd rather have Loretta Sanchez. We can take her out in six years, right? Kamala Harris, if she gets in there, it's for life, right? It, it, or do we go for a Republican? And, you know, Duff, I'm friendly with Duff. I, 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 I really like Duff a lot. Yeah. He's got, so he's, his job is to convince Republicans that they really should vote for a Republican in the primary. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the, the race between Harris and Sanchez is going to be fascinating because this was supposed to be a coronation, and Loretta Sanchez just doesn't get it. Uh, I, I wonder how the establishment is going to treat her. Well, you know, Harris declared her candidacy, what, like two days after Barbara Boxer announced she was going to retire? Not, not a lot of lag time there, you know, the, obviously the fix was in. And then it became a question of how many, not even so much who, but how many other Democrats would get into the race. Because, you know, of this top two equation, it really, frag, you know, having a lot of candidates from, from the same party on this ticket would, could effectively fragment the vote in ways that are really hard to predict. You know, it, it, it makes the... Uh, the political bookmakers crazy a little bit when you, when you get a lot of candidates in there because it's it, it becomes you know exponentially unpredictable. Um, and like then, the and then, and then yeah, John Bush. Gavin Newsom is running for governor, and Antonio Villarigosa took a pass on this race, and you know all of the other names that were out there, Xavier Becerra, uh, a lot of other people decided to take a pass on this, and and Sanchez didn't, but she's only one. Right, so then the the calculus becomes okay. Does she peel off enough Democrats from the Democratic establishment candidate to finish in front of the th- three Republicans who are, who may end up splitting the GOP vote? Um, I'm not necessarily convinced that she can. Uh, you know, I, I I think yes, she's Southern California. Yes, she's Latina. Kamala Harris did exceptionally well in LA the last time around. You know, she's won two statewide elections. Sanchez has only won a congressional district. Her name recognition is not nearly as big. Um, I, I think you could see a Republican get in front of her in, in this primary. The question is, who do Republicans vote for in traditional Republican primaries? Who do they like when they're presented with a couple of Republicans to choose from? Who do they typically pick? You tell me. You know, is is it the person who's trying to be a little bit more moderate and toward the middle, or is it somebody who's out there, you know, sort of shoveling the 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 conservative red meat a little bit more to try to g- generate that base? And is there enough of a base to win a top two primary? Neil Kashkari versus Tim Donnelly. Yes. Right. Neil Kashkari right. won. Yeah. So. And, and also yeah. to, to to piggyback so. on the numbers thing. What do we have? Forty percent registered Democrats. Now we're down to 23 percent registered Republicans. There's a smaller pie for those three guys to split up, and none of them are going to have any money, um, and so that's you know yeah. a complicating factor on that too. Okay, um, Josh, you recently reported on uh, Assemblymember Mark Levine. <laughs> he has a proposal. How many, of those of you who voted in this election, how many of you actually went to the poll? And, and polling place, not you know, mail in or something like that. Okay, quite a few folks. Did you know that it's apparently illegal to take a selfie in the voting booth? 
I know this is life-shattering news, but <laughs> how Josh, many of you considered taking a selfie? It, it's, it, it's illegal to take a, a selfie that shows your ballot. You can take a picture of yourself, uh, but so, but a there's a, there is state law that actually says that once you fill out your ballot, you're not supposed to show it to anybody. And apparently, taking a picture of it and posting it on Facebook uh, could be construed as running afoul of that. Uh, Mark Levine believes that showing that you voted and even how you voted can be a form of First Amendment civic participation, that you are, you are speaking your beliefs and you are showing people that you voted and that may inspire other people to vote. So he has a bill out there to, to, to legalize the ballot selfie. <laughs> what, what is the difference between taking a selfie of your ballot and, and me going on Twitter and said, I voted for uh, uh, Tom Del Beccaro. Yeah, th there I are actually yeah. not, not websites and apps out there where you're <laughs> yeah. supposed to go yeah. in, not a lot tell everyone who you yeah. voted for, and it sends it out to all kinds of social media. Just not a photo, I guess. Those little, I mean, I saw a lot of people yesterday wearing those, those I red I voted circles. I would think that they could do it just fine without. <laughs> well, what's, uh, I mean, what's the harm? But then again, do we really need a bill? Yeah. Has anybody been arrested? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. Maybe that would be an indicator that it's not necessary. I think Mark Levine may have achieved his goal by the fact that we're here saying That's the right. name Mark Levine. <laughs> What's this we stuff? <laughs> okay, well, let's get out of California briefly before we get to the news quiz. Let's get out of California. Ohio voted on legalization of marijuana. Everyone's pointing at Joe. I'm not going to inquire why, but Joe, can you tell us what happened and why it's important? Um, that is important because uh, next year, California is likely going to have uh, a legalization measure on the ballot. Uh, 18 different groups are trying to get one on the ballot right now. Um, so what Ohio, I mean, it was, and it was crushed. It was like 65% of the people voted it down. What, and the main reason they did was that it basically set up a, it only would permit 10 different people to grow, to have grow operations there, and creating sort of an oligarchy, if you will, a, a weed cartel, um, and that <clears throat> freaked people out. The freaked Akron people. cartel. The, yeah. <laughs> it has a certain ring to it. <laughs> it, it really doesn't. Um, so, uh, and so the, the, it was, people were so upset about that that uh, they, uh, they put another ballot on the, on the um, a measure on the ballot that said you, uh, you can't write uh, monopolies into the state constitution, which is what this first uh, measure, this pot measure, would have done. So it's not so much about feelings about pot as it is about control and about money. And there's definitely some lessons here that, the, and, and you'll see this in, in the Chronicle if you'd like to turn to it right now. I think it's posted online <laughs> or, it's, or in tomorrow's print edition. Um, it did something about this, the lessons to be learned about this. And one of them is you know, to make sure you protect small growers and make sure you try and keep big tobacco and big pharma out of there, or set up protections that'll do that, um, and other things along those lines. So there were lessons to be learned from Ohio yesterday. Today, today okay. yesterday. Um, any today. thoughts on automatic voter registration, which we now have in California? Gonna change the landscape at all? I can see this is the most animating question I could well, have Well, uh, you know, there, there's a school of thought uh, which, as, as journalists, I think some of us at least would subscribe to, that uh, people, people should go out and vote. And, you know, this is not compelling people to vote, but registering is, is certainly helpful. Uh, a lot of other states have been erecting, either intentionally or unintentionally, barriers to voting. 
uh, was it Alabama, I think, where they have a, a strict new photo ID law and then promptly did budget cuts to the DMV offices that issue the photo IDs so that their uh, most of the closures were in predominantly black counties. Um, you know, it's great to register. It doesn't necessarily mean that those people are going to go out and vote. And uh, it would be good to, to have a, uh, a, a well-informed and more participatory electorate. I'm not sure this will actually do it. I have a different view. I've watched California do everything that they can to make it easier for people to vote. You, you don't have to leave your house. They do everything to register you. Now it's automatic, Online. right? And voter participation keeps going down every year. So my prediction is that voter, voter uh, turnout will go down again. Because instead of deciding, hey, we want to, I mean, instead of, we're looking at the symptoms, not the disease. And this is a one-party state. This is a one-party city. There's really not much of a you know, debate about ideas. There's sort of a machine that, that operates so that, I mean, Kamala Harris is supposed to win this. There's not even supposed to, she, she's supposed to, she decided to run, everybody get out of the way, right? And, and, and that's, and, and so people, I mean, really, for a lot of people, what difference does it make well, w w whether it's Loretta Sanchez or Kamala Harris? It makes a big difference to the politicians, less so for the voters. This is Silicon Valley, and as I mentioned earlier, Gmail now will write your re email responses. Maybe Gmail can vote for you, too. Yeah, why not? Because, it, because it's so hard. We've made it Thanks so hard. much for tuning in today. For more on us and other programs or podcasts you might have missed, you can head to michellemeow.com. See you all next week. Tune into the Michelle Miao Show weekdays at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 Eastern on Progressive Voices.